Hello, and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast, Pitchfest 2020 series. I'm Nick Shirelli. Thanks for joining me. Late last year, OIO ran the Ocean Impact Pitchfest 2020. We were inundated with almost 200 applications from 38 countries and were blown away by the incredible breadth and quality of ideas and ventures that applied, all trying to make a positive impact on planet Ocean. Over the course of this Pitchfest 2020 series, we'll dive into the challenge and opportunity areas that each of the finalists are working on, find out about their unique solution, and discuss the key challenges and learnings they've encountered on their journey so far. We'll also discuss their why, their motivation for working towards a healthy ocean, what the road ahead looks like for them, and how you, the listener, might be able to support their journey. This week, I'm talking to Mark Runnels, who's the co-founder and director of Sydney-based startup Pump Free Energy. Pump Free Energy is a clean tech company that cleans oil from water and turns waste from commercial kitchens into renewable sources of energy. Through world-first innovative technology, Pump Free reduces the amounts of fat, oil and grease, otherwise known as fog, going into our sewers from commercial kitchens in restaurants, pubs, hotels and shopping centres. The fog collected is then sold and processed into biofuels. Pump Free is creating a circular economy by producing a resource out of a waste that would otherwise damage our ocean and reducing pollution and mitigating CO2 emissions along the way. Did you know that on average each person produces 8 kilos of grease per year and that one litre of oil can contaminate up to 1 million litres of ocean water? Did you also know that Sydney still has waste treatment plants that discharge several thousand tonnes of fog and suspended solids into the ocean? Well, the pump-free energy technology has been independently measured to reduce suspended solids by up to 65% and reduce the amounts of fog going to sewer by up to 75%. Mark and I have a great chat in this episode about fogs, fatbergs, fast food, waste as a resource, leaving the planet in better shape for our kids, the power of purpose to reach human potential, and the simple high-performance ethos of arguably the greatest team in world sport, the New Zealand All Blacks. I hope you enjoy this discussion with Mark Runnels on the Ocean Impact Podcast, Pitchfest 2020 series. Good afternoon, Mark, and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. Thanks, Nick. Glad to be with you. Excellent. Look, um, Mark, we, we've, um, we first met, what, probably 12, 18 months ago, and you, you came to me telling me about fogs. Tell, tell the listeners, what a, what's a fog? Um, a fog is fat soils and grease. Um, and probably what most people will associate fogs with as the ubiquitously named fatberg, a blockage of fat soils and grease in a sewer that causes backups and in some cases uh, breaks the, the sewer. And the most famous fog, of course, uh, is in London, City of London, where they had a, a, a fatberg the size of a 747 in the streets underneath London. But it's not confined to the UK. They're everywhere. They're here in Sydney. They're in uh, in Queensland and down in Victoria. 
And uh, what we've decided to do is, is build some technology that helps reduce that problem. And um, so what are we talking about here? We're talking about restaurants, fast food chains, anywhere that uses oils to yeah, deep fry exactly. food. So, so everybody loves food, right? And everybody loves fast food. And so uh, one of the problems with fast food um, and food in general is, is uh, we use oil to cook it because obviously where there's oil, there's flavour. Um, but then what do we do with that oil? Um, the oil from the fryers, that gets taken away and, and dealt with and that's, you know, that's fine. But the oil that's um, on the utensils that we cook with, the plates in the kitchen, that all gets washed down to something called a grease trap. And that's supposed to be an oily water separator that um, prevents the oil going into the sewer. But it doesn't. It doesn't do a very good job about that. And so there is nearly 75,000 grease traps in Australia. Um, if we can pick up 20% market share over the next five years, we can make a huge difference in reducing the fat oils and grease that hits the sewer. And ultimately, um, some of that gets into the ocean. So that's what we're trying to achieve. So talk us through, we'll come back to market share and that sort of side of the discussion in a moment, Mark, but just talk us through, uh, so oil chips are getting cooked in a fast food outlet. Talk us through exactly how that makes it, its way to the ocean without yeah. your technology. So, so the, the oil uh, gets um, washed into the grease trap at the end of the shift, either via the uh, washing machine, uh, you know, the, the dishwashers, uh, as a, a kitchen gets scrubbed down at the end of a shift, it all goes either down via the sinks or the floor drains into the grease trap. The idea behind a grease trap, it's a patented technology, first patent granted in about 1860 in the United States. It's basically a settling pond. The water from the kitchen comes in, the food particles separate out and float to the bottom. Uh, then the oil releases from the food particles and from the, from the grease, and it floats to the top of the grease trap. Over a period of time, it starts to solidify. And uh, the idea would be when it gets to a certain size, along comes a, a grease trap truck and uh, sucks up everything and takes it away. In between the hard grease layer on the top and the food particle layer is a layer of so-called clean water. That's where the outlet to the sewer goes. But um, as I mentioned, they don't work particularly well. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one is if they're not serviced properly, um, if the sides aren't scraped down, if all the contents aren't taken away, that's one problem. The other problem is with modern kitchens and dishwashers, when the hot water comes in um, after a cycle, it creates turbidity when it hits the cold water sitting in the grease trap. That creates current, that melts the, the fat oils and grease on the top and puts it out through the outlet to the sewer. Fat oils and grease in a sewer pipe can erode concrete at the rate of one millimetre per year. So you've got a replacement issue, but then when it combines with wet wipes and rag and all the other things that people put into the sewer and they shouldn't, that's what creates the fatbergs. And I know that Sydney Water alone spends millions of dollars a year dealing with um, uh, those, those blockages and a lot on public education campaigns. But from the sewer, when it gets into the sewer pipe, it eventually goes to what's known as a liquid treatment plant. And as you know, here in Sydney, 
We've got uh, the uh, Bondi um, uh, liquid treatment plant. We've got Malabar um, and we've got the one at Manly. And um, those sites still discharge several thousand tons of fats, oils and greases and solids, even after treatment into the ocean every year. So if we can remove the fats, oils and grease before it ever hits the sewer network, it saves the water authority money in A, having to transport this stuff, B, having to treat it and C, in the maintenance costs. So it's a good news story for them as well. And to be fair, Sydney Water have been, um, you know, very diligent in checking how our technology works and making sure the claims we make are, uh, can be backed up with evidence. But, um, you know, they are looking for solutions that help reduce pollution go to sewer and we fit that perfectly. So, Mark, I know you do have some pretty startling um, numbers around the impact that your technology can have. Let's come to those in a moment, but I just want to um, be really clear on what the product and, and offering that Pump Free Energy um, provides. From what I understand, there's two parts to it. There's the technology that, that retrofits, if you like, with the grease traps. And then um, there's also the collection facility that you provide can you talk us talk us through that? Yeah, exactly, Nick. So we um, retrofit our technology into an existing grease trap. If we tried to, you know, uh, put in a new piece of equipment, dig up the forecourt, um, put the site out of operation for a week, it, it would just be a no-go for, for most of our clients. So we had to retrofit something. Um, that takes two to three hours. It's a comparatively small charge. Then we use a specially designed vehicle to collect the material. And unlike um, uh, everybody else that mostly discharges fats, oils and grease and water at a liquid waste treatment station and then puts the collected fogs to soil injection, we actually um, clean it and we then sell it for input to biodiesel. So, you know, A, we're saving the water authority time money. We're reducing pollution for the customer, for the restaurant, for the shopping centre. An example would be we can save on average about a tonne and a half of waste going to sewer through the use of our technology. Um, and then we actually, um, you know, help reduce carbon by selling this material that's now clean enough to be input to biofuels um, and then converted and then obviously reduce carbon that way. That's awesome. A concept that we talk about a lot is um, uh, challenge slash opportunity. And this is a great example, right? Because you're targeting a specific problem by reducing the fogs, but you're also coming up with a resource in the process. So, you know, you might think of, typically I think a company like yours would have fallen under the banner of um, waste disposal. But I'd suggest that you probably think of yourself as waste resource. Yeah, we, we do. We think of waste as a resource. And I guess that's really, you know, um, we've been at this for around five years now. And it's interesting to see the way the conversation around sustainability and the circular economy is, has really changed and is really gathering momentum. So we absolutely fit into that category of, you know, there's a commodity oil that is used to cook food, um, but it has to be then dealt with. And we see it as a resource to be harvested and used appropriately and used for the most economic value at the least environmental cost. 
we don't see it. We don't see ourselves as as waste disposal people at all. That's excellent. That's I love that. I love that way of thinking. Um, so, I mean, how big is the? You know, obviously, fast food's huge, right? It's um, is that your target market? Fast food, clubs, restaurants. What what else are we? Yeah, basically any any site in Australia that has a, a grease trap and they produce two forms of oil. One would be the used cooking oil because we collect that as well. Um, and the other would be the, the grease trap service. So to give you an example, Sydney Water has, I think, about 20,000 uh, grease trap customers. Um, obviously, some on the central coast, some in Newcastle, similar numbers in Victoria, similar numbers in, in Melbourne, similar numbers in the uh, Brisbane Gold Coast area, about 75,000 grease traps across the whole of Australia. And to give you some sense of scale, Nick, there's 45,000 in in uh, Southern California alone, and some six to 700,000 across the whole of the United States. The global um, QSR, quick service restaurant market, is about 4% uh, growth per year. Of course, up in places like China, uh, and the, and the um, Asian market, that's much greater pre-COVID, obviously. It was around 12%. But the interesting thing about COVID um, is that fast food seems to be relatively immune. Um, those big international brands switched quickly from dining in to takeaway and drive through. And now they're um, operating at, uh, you know, revenue levels and, and uh, numbers of meals served. Um, uh, higher than actually pre-COVID. Um, I saw a stat the other day, I think between the two largest uh, QSR brands in Australia, they serve 16 million meals a week. Extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting to, to wonder where we're going to land on the other side of COVID because, um, yeah, you'd think that um, quite simply people have just moved from dining in to um, eating out, it looks like. Uh, you know, we're stuck at home for, for weeks on end in, in, in some instances in lockdowns. And um, I think if people thought that people were going to cook more at home, <laughs> they were found to be uh, quite wrong about that. I yeah, suppose yeah. If, you, if you've been stuck there with the kids all day, maybe you want to give yourself a bit of a rest when it comes to dinner time. Exactly. So it's, you know, it's something that's convenient. It's handy. Of course, the rise of the delivery services has, has helped. So, look, I think there are many reasons why people do it. I you know, um, you and I, of course, have met in Manly before, and um, I can tell you on a Friday and a Saturday night, Manly is is absolutely rocking there. So people are definitely coming back out and spending big at these establishments, and they're starting to reopen. Obviously, it's harder for pubs, clubs, and restaurants that are still numbers restricted. Um, that's a sector that hasn't bounced back yet, but certainly the big QSR brands um, are starting to see, you know, very, very healthy takings again. Great. Mark, tell us, um, let's let's change tack slightly and go back to the start, if you like. Um, I want to hear about, and um, the listeners are always interested in this, we want to know why, what's the why? Why is, why is Mark Runnels uh, in this venture? How did the idea come around? Um, you know, where's the motivation to go after this, um, this significant um, problem? Yeah. Um, so going way back, I'm uh, Cornish, um, small independent principality, we would have you believe in England, um, sits in the English Channel. Uh, if you're born in Cornwall, you're intimately 
familiar with the ocean. You're 15 minutes away, no matter where you are. Um, my, my forebears were farmers, um, fishermen, um, sailors. Um, you know, you just can't escape it. And I grew up living, surfing, swimming in the ocean uh, in Cornwall. And of course, I come here and I live in Sydney. And, you know, we are blessed with a, a, an urban environment on, you know, probably the greatest harbour in the world. Um, so that's one part. The next part, I guess, is um, I met the um, the co-founder of this business back in 2015. He's um, Bruce. He's got a lot of uh, uh, background in the in the QSR industry, and he had a kind of um, he's got a really interesting mind, and he had a a way of thinking about this problem that I think is pretty unique. He's not a traditional waste guy. He came at this originally from the point of view of making life easier and safer for, for those restaurateurs. Um, and I actually have a view that business, when used correctly, has an incredible power to do good. You know, we can, um, you know, I, I mentioned just now 16 million Australians eat every week at one of the two big QSR restaurants. Well, if those people knew that eating at those restaurants, they were having a positive impact on climate change because those restaurants use our service and we reduce pollution, we increase the amount of waste going to recycling and we create biofuels. Um, that's a good thing. And, and, and obviously that's a power for good. So I saw this business as really being a great opportunity to, to um, scale and, and have a huge impact um, in part on the oceans, but in part on the environment. Third part of my why, I'm a rugby fan, all Cornish people are, um, and uh, of course the greatest team in the world, Q, Q arguments here, is the All Blacks. And uh, my good friend Margot introduced me to the philosophy of the um, All Blacks a while ago. And that is when you, her father was an All Black, her uncle was an All Black. And um, she told me that when you get sort of drafted, inducted, your sole task is to leave the jersey in a better state when you finish your career than it was when you started. In other words, you elevate the, the, the status of the team, the, the ethic, the ethos. And I've sort of, you know, admired that for a long time. And I think, as you can't not fail to be aware after the bushfires of last year and the increasing signs of, of climate crisis that are all around us, if only we open our eyes. We have a responsibility to leave the world in a better state than, than, than how we found it. My son is 10 um, and I am not gonna be around to see the worst impacts of climate change, but he will be. So it's incumbent upon me. And I know it's part of what drives you in the Ocean Impact Organization. Um, to make a difference. So that's 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 the third thing. It's I guess um, it's doing what I can, leveraging the power of business, tapping into my affinity of the ocean, and 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 tapping into people's potential. I know you want to talk about this later, but you know people want to do good. They want to turn up and do a great job, and you can't build great companies without tapping into people's latent potential. Um, so it's combining those. Those four things, Nick. I love it. I love that All Blacks um, 
uh, insight. I didn't actually know that, but um, look, there's absolutely no argument from me as to the All Blacks being the best rugby team in the world. I think they've shown that over an extended period and, and at multiple points um, over the last 30 years when certain players were um, about to retire. I think everyone thought that the world would cave in on them and they just keep stepping up and up and up. And it's a really simple mindset thing, isn't it, really? It's like saying, hey, don't come along and, um, you know, this isn't the standards you need to hit. You need to do more than that standard. I mean, it's a really subtle shift in your mindset to, um, you know, to go about your business. And I think that's really powerful. I'm going to take something out of that. Um, and, you know, we do, we need to do more. We're, at the, we're, we're, we're long past the point of doing um, the norm or the average or what's expected. Everyone needs to have a look around and ask what I can do. And, and, and I think, you know, saying it's not up to me, I can't make a difference. If you eat at a restaurant that's being serviced by us, you're making a difference because that restaurant has made a decision to go with a technology that doesn't cost them any more, but it actually has an impact. I'll give you an example. Um, you and I uh, live just around the corner from uh, the Balgawa RSL, and uh, we just signed them up as a customer. And um, it was the easiest sale I've ever done. And, and uh, you know, I always am curious. So I said to Henrik, the CEO, you've got to tell me, what was it that we said that made you say yes? And he said, well, Mark, when your guy contacted me, you know, I didn't know who you were. I've never heard of you before. But he showed me the video that you guys put together for the Ocean Impact um, Pitch Fest competition. And it really highlighted for us something that we could do that was so simple, so powerful. Our members all live uh, and, and work and play in and around the northern beaches. We have to be custodians of this environment, otherwise we're going to ruin it. And then we've got to sort of look at our children and say, no, we didn't take care of it. So that, you know, that, that was really good. And it was a perfect illustration for me about the power of simple messages con convincingly uh, explained using the medium of video, which is why I know the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest competition has had such a such a huge effect. And uh, you know, it was thanks to you telling me get on with it and get the thing finished um, when I wanted to pull out and say, Nick, I don't have enough time. Um, and and it's had a big difference. So now we use it in all of our marketing, and and it cuts through. You know, it's it's simple. It's, it is simple, isn't it? it? But it's simple, but it's so um, important because, you know, dare I say, um, selling grease trap technology and, um, and, and collection of, of greases is pretty boring. You know, let's, if you're focusing on the product itself, it's, it's pretty boring. Let's look at Planet Protector packaging. I mean, what could be more boring than talking about packaging solutions? change that around and tell people about what the yeah. impact is and it, it, you change the whole frame of the conversation with them it you know and i i'd go as far as saying that simple change in messaging and mindset um flows right through your entire organization i'm not looking for a new employee to come and work in my um fats or my packaging business i'm i'm looking for a new employee to come in and make a huge impact at reducing polystyrene in the ocean or reducing fogs in the ocean yeah, hugely powerful could, couldn't agree more um and i talked about this earlier you know tapping into people's potential um i've got a i've got a corporate background 
and I am um, sorry. And I am uh, sorry. I was just getting shushed out of the room, but I booked <laughs> it until afterwards, so it's all good. Um, I have a corporate background. You know, I was a partner in one of the big four uh, professional services firms, and it always amazed me the way that we wasted human potential. People just have an innate need to turn up, feel that they've done a good job. They want to be recognized for the contribution they've made and they, and they, and they reward you by going above and beyond um, you know, what, what they're paid for. And I think businesses that fail to take advantage of that are just leaving so much on the table that could be deployed to to really drive the business forward. And, and that's not being manipulative. That's essentially just saying we have these innate traits. So leverage them and make people uh, feel appreciated and they will give you far more than their, than their pay is worth. Does that make sense to you? Oh, 100%. And I think it goes back to... Um... You know, I, I think this this concept goes back to as early as um, the ages of you know four and five, because one of the fundamental problems I see with the um, uh, that happens at that age is that we start asking kids what they want to be when they grow up, rather than what type of problems do you want to work on, what type of um, you know good in the world do you want to be a part of. And, um, you know, yeah, I want to be this or I want to be that. I want to be in this career or that career. I mean, what's a career? I mean, I don't, no one wants to be an accountant, do they? I mean, you want to, you know, that's your toolkit to have some, you know, have some good in the world. Um, my, my former colleagues in Ernst and Young would disagree with you, but, <laughs> but some of them, you know, I, I'll defend them. Some of them can. I'm an accountant, by the way. I can say that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't realise that. Well, there you go. So, no, no, I get it. You, you know that's 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 uh, thinking from Carol's way. That's all about um, uh, opportunity thinking instead of constraint thinking. Um, it's how do you you know how do we teach our kids to be resilient? How do we teach them to overcome adversity? It's not by doing it ourselves. It's not by telling them what to do. It's by giving them the opportunity, letting them fail, and developing that healthy curiosity. Um, and that capacity to look beyond the immediate problem and go, okay, how do I get through that? I, I think you're spot on. Mm. And it's also, you know, we're living in a pretty topsy-turvy world at the moment, right, where uh, even pre-COVID we were looking at things like AI and automation and wondering which careers were um, or which industries were going to be disrupted most. You know, you change that mindset in people um, to be wanting to work on, um, problem sets and opportunity areas rather than working within an industry, all of a sudden that those people aren't scared of that industry becoming redundant anymore because they're not tied to it. Yeah, no, absolutely right. We, we build our business around something called the ADAPT philosophy. It's a group out of Western Australia. And um, uh, Bill Withers, my, my close friend and business mentor and shareholder in our company, developed this. He, he built a software business out of Western Australia servicing the global mining giants. And mining is red in tooth and claw. It's, it's boom to bust. And in order for Bill to build a company that survived in that metric across in that industry across 30 years, he had to tap into people's latent abilities and he had to build a habitat within which people could 
innovate quickly. And the only thing you can teach people that is um, translatable, it's, it's not specific skills, it's not SQL programming, it's not international accounting standards. It's, it's capability to work your way through a problem and come up with an innovative solution. And our job as leaders of a business, um, managers, directors, is to create the architecture within which those people can actually thrive. Back to waste. If, if they see you tolerating bad employees, people that don't turn up to meetings, people that don't deliver, people that aren't held to account, why should they do it? If you create an architecture within which, you know, they go the extra mile, like in our case, guys staying behind on a Friday night to deliver equipment to a customer so the customer's not inconvenienced for the weekend and you don't even have to ask them, they just do it and tell you on Monday. Isn't that a great example of, of, of self-directed organisations, of, of people that, you know, are, are, are competent? So... So I, th I think that's that for me is 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 the goal. Try to build a business that's self-directed. You're not telling people what to do. Mm -hmm. They're learning all the time, and they don't feel as though they're tied to a role. You know, they're not just a truck driver. They're not just a an installer. They're not just an accountant. They are there to facilitate the customer being happy and serving a broader purpose, which in our case is reducing pollution increasing the supply of biofuels, reducing carbon and leaving the place better than the way we found it. It's funny, isn't it? You know, like it's almost, it, it, it raises a few eyebrows whenever I say this to people, but in quite a few businesses and, and particularly impact businesses, and I think we should be, you know, in fact, all business, right? I, I think you can um, have a, a greater shot at being uh, significantly profitable if you take your focus off profitability at uh, at the top level and that sounds strange but what I mean by that is so in your case don't focus on we need to increase our top line by 10% over the next 12 months that's not a target that's something that happens when you make customers happy and when you're targeting the impact that you're targeting in your business model the 10% increase in profits is just the byproduct of those things yeah no, and, and this is the function of, I'm going to malign your old profession, this is a function of the accounting profession and, and the pervasiveness with which it, it's penetrated business. Accounting metrics are lag indicators of doing everything you've just described, getting the right customer with the right product at the right time at the right price delivered in the way they want it, serviced by the right people. Then all of the accounting metrics happen. And if you don't get it right and you're measuring your business on accounting metrics, you've got a three to four month delay before the impact of your decision back then actually starts to show up in the financials. So 100%, and in fact, there is research out there and I've, I've been involved in, in, in looking at this in the past um, for my sins, I'm still, trying to complete a PhD um, about why accounting gets in the way of innovation. And we, and we looked at this topic. The, the most profitable organisations are ones that, that prioritise a broad range of metrics, not just financial ones. Mm. Absolutely. Um, talking about metrics, one that we discussed before we hit record is um, your growth, your customer acquisition growth over the last 12 months. Yeah, talk us, we, talk us through that. Yeah, look, we we 
are fortunate in that the sector we're most exposed to, the, the what I call the quick service restaurant industry, has been incredibly resilient during COVID. And so, um, you know, we originally, about a year ago, just before Christmas, had um, about 45 customers. And we've grown that now nearly threefold um, with our partners um, that we work with. Um, we're in New South Wales. We have just deployed equipment to the ACT and we're about to deploy to Victoria. And we have customers waiting in um, Queensland when we can get there and when we can get the, the, the capital and put the trucks up there. So it's, it's you know, it, it is obviously true to say that COVID has been incredibly hard for a lot of people. We have found ways to grow that um, we didn't believe were possible in January of last year. And I think, again, that's testament to the culture and resilience of the people that, that you know, are part of the team because we didn't know what to do, but we, we, we thought through it. We just kept going one step after another, and, and here we are. And, and we've got a really good growth story. Um, we've got other QSR brands coming on board. We're selling different things to the existing QSR customers. You know, we don't just service the sites and collect the oils. We now also sell them equipment. We're doing repairs. Um, we're moving into different kinds of sustainability and circular economy offerings to them. Um, so it, it is it is very rewarding to look back. But as Bill, my mentor, always tells me, Mark, don't look at the metrics, look at the trajectory. And the trajectory is upwards. And if you focus on that, again, the short-term obstacles kind of seem less important. Mm. So 300% customer acquisition growth over the last 12 months. You're, you've got your footprint in New South Wales. You're entering other states. Um, and I might just highlight as well, we're not going to throw out names here, but, you know, the, for the listeners, it's very likely that they've eaten at some of uh, the, uh, the fast food outlets that you service. Um, so yeah, you, you, know, you do have some the, big name, the big two name largest, brands in there. Exactly, Nick. The two largest uh, QSR uh, brands in Australia. Uh, we service um, the vast majority of one of them in New South Wales, and we'll be expanding the footprint in those other states as well. Um, and uh, we're targeting others, and not just you know the QSR restaurants, fine dining groups um, as well, um, pubs and club chains, one of our shareholders and in fact our first commercial customer is the chair elect of one of the larger pub and club um, chains and he's um, he's introduced us to uh, to his people with a view to us uh, commencing servicing their shopping centers so you know the beauty of grease traps is a grease trap is a grease trap and so now we've established ourselves and we're viewed as credible and we're getting a great reputation in the market for service and we're able to expand into other into other customer groups. So I was going to ask you that next. That's a really good segue. So you've you've obviously it sounds like you've your focus is Australia and that's going well. I assume you've got your eyes on global, uh, you know, international market entry. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. We we know that this is a global problem. Um, we've done market research in four markets: US, UK, the Netherlands. Uh, and here in Australia. And um, and that highlighted that firstly, our technology is unique. There's nothing like it. It's patent protected. Um, secondly, um, that 
there's an opportunity. You know, we aren't waste uh, removers. We're waste harvesting uh, recyclers. And, and our business model is better than the industry standard, which is you pay to have the waste taken away and then the grease trap company pays to have it discharged. We get paid to actually turn that resource into a uh, feedstock for input into another purpose. Um, we think when we expand internationally and we've met the procurement, the global procurement and sustainability people for the two chains that I'm alluding to, um, and they've said, look, prove the model scales in Australia, then come back to us with a discussion around how you want to roll this out. Because obviously the QSRs are um, homogenous in that they operate the same way, largely the same menu. So if you're part of the standard operating procedure of one restaurant in George Street, Sydney, you can be the same in a restaurant in Chicago or in London or in you know Rotterdam. And that's where we want to get to. And that's when, interestingly enough, and from an investment point of view, I think that's when our business uh, opportunity changes. We move from being an operator of trucks and the provider of services to being a licensor of technology and a harvester of data. So let me give you an example about data. You know, we can tell uh, a brand when their, for example, um, product is being overcooked in a store in Western Sydney. And we can provide them with that information um, you know, on a regular basis, and we can allow them to benchmark the quality of the oils that we're taking away. If a restaurant is using the oil too much, that oil is it has a high FFA, free fatty acid content. We can provide that information to them. That's a brand protection measure we can provide that nobody else has been able to, to deliver. We could then start to benchmark that information. They can use that then on training. So that's an example of where we can become a licensing and data-driven company that actually is global. And obviously, you've got far more growth mm. potential then. But we've got to walk before we run. So that's... First, we've the, got to spread. And that's the key, isn't it? That's, that's where they're asking, you know, show us how you can scale it because right now you're operating your own trucks. And I, I dare say your ambition in the long term isn't to operate a fleet of trucks or, um, you know, you're probably looking to partner with existing uh, waste collection uh, and resource exactly. Our, our, our task is to go to one of them uh, and license and say, we can show you a better way, uh, an environmentally more sustainable way, and we can give you customers that are already engaged using the product. And by the way, it's more profitable. What's not to like? What's not to like? I love it. <laughs> Actually, a good friend of mine um, <laughs> talking about fast food, uh, she loves saying that what's not to like because... Every time uh, we drive somewhere, she'd pick up a hash brown from one of these establishments and I'd look at her and say, you're not going to eat that, are you? And she'd say, it's potato, it's deep fried. What's not to like? <laughs> exactly, what's not to like? Um, look, we're coming to the end of our discussion, Mark, but there are a couple of things I want to tease out before we, um, we do wrap up. Um, what are some of the immediate things in front of pump-free energy? What are you doing in the next 12 to 24 months? Are you... Are you, are you I know you've got a growth plans. Are you looking for capital to match that? Um, yeah, that's right, Nick. Talk um, us through that. So, you know, we need to build new trucks. We need um, to deploy to new customers. 
and uh, we obviously need to grow the team. And, um, you know, like I said, one of our challenges is making sure that as we add to the team, we add to the culture, not detract from it. So we'll take a little bit longer to hire people than perhaps is the norm, but we don't want to make a mistake. Um, so customers, trucks and team, and obviously to do that, we need we need cash and, and you're you're right, we're looking for, for more capital and we're looking for people that, you know, want to help us on the journey. Um, it's been interesting. I've been doing this for five years now and, and the, the noise around impact investing has definitely started to increase and, and you, would, you would be able to sort of talk to that as well as I. Um, so we're trying to tap into that at the moment. And um, if anybody is interested, please just look at the website and my contact details are there and um, yeah, I'd be happy to talk. Yeah, it's a tr- it's it's definitely an emerging area, isn't it? But it also means that right now, you know, we are on the cusp of a, a movement really. And um, I'd imagine that what it means, well, I don't imagine, I know it means that when you're vetting investors, it's a much longer process, right? You need the right type of investors invested in the mission and not just on the, um, on the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, for us, the last, you know, three years has been a story about alignment. And, and if you don't get alignment right going in, it, it's expensive and painful to, to unwind uh, on, the, on the back end. So you're right, you need to be very careful, um, as careful about your, your investors as you do about the, you know, the leadership team and the, and the people you hire. Because if you're not aligned, um, if, you're not, if you're not going in the same direction, um, and 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 open to challenge and open to being you know forced to pivot, um, then you know you're not focusing on what you should be focusing on, which is serving the customers, doing a great job, and growing the business. Yeah, it's funny. Quite often, you see a, a founder come across a problem that looks really interesting, and they start to tackle it, and then they go after the. They think the first two things they need to do is quickly find a co-founder to just do the things that they can't do classic case is someone looking for that technical co-founder or the technical co-founder looking for someone with the business or sales smarts. Um, and they make that decision in a hurry. That's error number one. And then error number two is, well, we need some money. We'll take a check from anywhere. Um, and like you say, I mean, those, those decisions at the outset can, um, I mean, they can be critical if not uh, really um, time-consuming to unwind. Absolutely, and, and so that's why we love the the adapt philosophy. And one of the things, the first thing that you have to do as you as you embark on that program is actually build your 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 va- your values and your mission, and then you basically use it to vet anybody coming into the business, including customers. Um, in the case of employees, we just changed this. We actually ask them to sign up to the values. Um, now they're not they're not you know set in stone. We we know that these things can change over time, but just having written them down and having a piece of paper that someone says, yeah, you know what, I have a value around I guess. We're not being rude. I give a shit. I will do what it takes to get things done. That sets the standard, and then we can all hold each other accountable to it. Doing that with investors is just as important as doing it. It is with um, co-founders and obviously with with you know, people you bring into your team. Absolutely. Well, Mark, we're going to wrap up, but just one final um, moment for you. How can people get in touch with you, investors, customers, people interested in supporting your journey? 
Thanks, Nick. So um, the website is www.pumpfree.com.au. Um, and uh, we are always uh, we are always open for interesting conversations. Um, you'll also find a video uh, on that, which is a small edited version of the Ocean Impact uh, video, which is obviously how we uh, first met you, Nick. Um, and that's the best thing. The other thing to look out for is, uh, and I forgot to mention this earlier, but I'll take the liberty to do it. We've just been told that we are the finalists in the Banksia Environmental Awards to be announced uh, in, in March. You gave us a, a flavour for the award process, Nick, a, an appetite for it. Um, so we're, we're hopeful uh, about what's happening there. So you can read about us at the Banksia's, you can read about us on the Ocean Impact site and obviously on our website and happy to talk. And Nick, can I just say thank you for all the opportunities you provided us with since uh, since you dragged me kicking and screaming to take part in the, uh, in the competition. Right, I think look, I should be thanking you. I mean, we're here to tell the stories of people like you, so we're we're you know we're going to continue doing that while you guys keep doing the good work. Thanks very much, Nick. Thanks a lot, Mark. Have a great day. Cheers. Take care. Bye.